Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. good morning. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Praise be to God. Thank Him for, I thank Him for all the good and perfect gifts that He gives us every day and every week and week upon week upon week. And God is so good and He's so faithful. Amen? Amen. 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 Is God faithful or what? Well, He is to me. I don't know if He is, if he, if he is to you. Hopefully, He is to you, too. Anyway, um, welcome into my home, everybody. Gospel Saving Church. And uh, welcome everybody coming from online, SoundCloud, and wherever you're coming from. God bless you, and uh, welcome to Gospel Saving Church. And I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli. It's good to have you. It's good to uh, it's good to be able to stand here and teach you today. I'm, I'm thankful that the Lord has given me a good message this week, and I'm excited about it. So I want to get right into, uh, let's pray real quick, and let's get into my thoughts from last week's message, because uh, a lot of encouragement today, a lot of things to think about, a lot of things to take home. Holy Spirit's really, I hope, going to... Uh, speak to us all today. Let's pray for it, though, and uh, ask God to bless our message. So, you know, join me in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you, Lord God, for all that you do for us, Lord. Thank you for how faithful you are, Lord God. Thank you how faithful and how good and how kind and how loving that you are, Lord. I don't know what I would do without you, Lord. If I didn't have you in my life, Lord, I'd probably be dead by now. Lord, I lived a wild and crazy life before you came into my life, and I probably would have killed myself by now, Lord. So I'm on borrowed time. Lord, I'm on borrowed time, Lord. I'm, I'm, and Lord, what, what better than to do with my borrowed time, Lord, than to serve you, Lord. There's no, no, greater, no greater thing that we could do in all our lives, Lord God, than serve you and, and know you deeply and know you more. Because, Lord, when we're saved, Lord, and we know we're yours, Lord God, we know that we're, we're going to be spending eternity. We know we're going to be spending eternity in heaven where you're going to be. So, Lord, why not get to know you more now, Lord, because I want to be with you forever, too. Lord, I thank you for this message that you've given me this week, Lord. It's been an encouragement to me, Lord. I pray that, Lord, for everybody that will listen to this message all over the whole world, Lord God, they would be as encouraged as I am, or as I have been with this message. I pray that they would be that encouraged as I have been this week, Lord. Anybody, wherever they are coming from and whoever it is that they're going to be listening to it, Lord, I just pray they'd be as encouraged as I have been by this message, Lord. We thank you and we love you and praise you. And we ask all these mighty, all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you guys want to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26, we're going to be in verses 14 through 16. We're only going to cover three verses this week in this section of our scripture. But we're going to cover a lot more, as we usually do, to bring it all together. And hopefully God will speak to you today. So again, that's Matthew chapter 26, 14 through 16. If you want to get there in your Bibles... You can get there. I'm going to start off with my thoughts from last week's message. Elroy, the God who sees. Well, for anyone that really loves God and walks with him, this idea of him as Elroy, the God who sees, should give you much comfort. In fact, as I thought about it this week, and I hope you think about it now, it really gave me a big smile on my face when I thought of Elroy, the God who sees. You may be saying, well, how or why? Why? Why does that give you a big smile, Pastor Ed? I don't understand why. Well, because knowing that he is Elroy and he sees all, that means that no matter where I or you are, and no matter what you are going through, Elroy sees it and knows what's going on, exactly what's going on in each one of our lives. Then when you combine that with his great love for you that his word says that he has, and his and Christ's promises to you who love him and live for him and trust him continually, he says this, Behold, This is God Almighty speaking now. I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. Amen. And Jesus Christ then says in the New Testament, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So these aspects of Elroy should give you much comfort. Think about it. He not only says that he sees all that you go through, And he sees every situation that you're in in life. He sees it all. But he also says 
that he's with you through all the things that you go through as well too. Anything, think about it, no matter what you may be going through, God says, I'm with you and I see all that you're going through. But unfortunately, I and I know others have too, have struggled with having this peace in Christ. That's a problem because God, his word says, wants you to have this peace that the knowledge of Christ brings. So do you want this peace like I do always in my life with Christ, knowing Christ? Then here's what we have to do. You, this is not a man, this is not a maybe thing. This is not a, well, I'll, I'll get around to it. You have to do this. Because all the promises of God are yes and amen. That's what the word says. But for us, as far as we're concerned, we have to receive them. We got to lay hold of them and we have to grab them. Just like a Christmas present under the tree. The Christmas present's there and it may be with your name right on it. But if you never reach out and grab it and take it and open it, it's not yours. You don't get any benefit from it. The present, excuse me, is yours. But the benefit of the present never comes to you. It's the same thing with the peace of Christ that fills our hearts. So we must grab hold of and take hold of with all our hearts and our minds. And this is a mental thing. The Bible says, gird up the loins of your mind. That means, that means get your mind focused, strong focused. And meditate on and close your eyes and set your mind on these attributes of Elroy, no met think about it. Close your eyes and think with all your heart. No matter where I am, God sees me and is with me. Wow! Just it, just thinking about that now, just talking about it now, just putting it in your ear now, makes me so strong in the Lord. Even right now, right wherever you are, wherever you're sitting, no matter what you're going through, God says, I see it. And he says, I'm with you through it all. Whether it's good or whether it's bad. And, and before your mind gets going and before the devil whispers in your ear, because he likes to do that, we can trust God. We can trust Christ. They are not liars. They are faithful, the Bible says, even when we are not. So, whatever God says to you as a promise, if you're trusting in Him and if you're living for Him and if you love Him and if you want to be with Him, His promises are for sure yes and amen because He's not a liar like the devil. Look at what King David says about these same aspects of El Roy because if you think it's just something that we have now, you're wrong. David had it even thousands of years ago when he lived for God in Christ back a long time ago. He says in Psalm 139, 1 through 10, he says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. Wow. That's El Roy, right? He says he sees all. David says he sees my sitting down and my rising up. He knows when I stand or he knows if I'm sitting, David says. David goes on to say, you understand my thought afar off. So as you're thinking today about whatever you're going to think about, God knows those thoughts that you're thinking. He's Elroy. He goes on to say, verse 3, you comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Wow. So you understand what path I'm walking on, God. You understand when I go to bed. And you know, in fact, you know every way that I live. Wow. Elroy, remember? David knew Elroy. For there is not a word on my tongue, so this, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. So every word that you speak, Elroy, here's it. You have hedged me behind and before. He's saying you're with me. And laid your hand upon me. And look at what he says about this knowledge. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. 
And he goes on to say about being with him, where could I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. Obviously, we know that one, right? That's a given. If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. Yes, that's right. Even God's presence is in hell. Isn't that amazing? Absolutely. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Wow. King David loved, lived for, and served, and trusted in the God who sees Elroy. And he knew that God was with him as well, too. And this knowledge of God in Christ gave David peace, and he rejoiced in these aspects of God. Look at what Peter says about this knowledge of Christ, because Peter knew too. Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, verses 1 and 2, on this piece, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us. So what did he say? To those that have gotten saved. To those that are God's kids. Those that have put their trust in him. He says, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. So even Peter knew that this knowledge of him, this wonderful knowledge, so, such knowledge that was too wonderful for David, the man after God's own heart, it was too wonderful for him. He cannot attain it. This peace is there in the knowledge of this God who sees all that you're going through and is with you through everything that you go through. Period. The end. So, if you're listening out there, wherever you are, and you love God, and you're walking with Christ, and you trust in Him, then have peace in the knowledge of God and Christ because they are faithful. And they know and see everything you're going through. And they are with you. And they can help you no matter how great or how terrible your life may be right now. No matter where you're at. But you have to hold on to those promises. You have to hold on to them. And you have to have faith that God is not a liar. And that these aspects of Elroy are true. And you have to set your mind on them. And believe them with all your heart and meditate on them. That God is with you and it can help you through every aspect that you're going through in life, period, the end. And when you do that, God brings this incredible peace. Hey, Lord, I'm, right now, if I'm not where you want me to be, you could move me, you could change that. Or, Lord, if I'm where I'm supposed to be, Lord, then I know you see me and I know you know what I'm going through. So, Lord, please strengthen me through it. And I lay hold of your promise, Lord. And you can pray just that way right there. And that's amazing because God is not a liar. He's truthful. Praise him, praise him, praise him, praise him. Elroy, the God who sees and the God that is with you if you're his. Praise the Lord. All right, let's get on to today's sermon. Our title of today's sermon is The Betrayal of Christ by Judas. The Betrayal of Christ by Judas. We're going to read Matthew 26, 14 through 16 in a moment. Just coming up shortly. I just want to recap real quick so we can move into our text this week. So last week we read about how the evil-hearted religious leaders and the elders of the people got together to plan Jesus' murder. Again, remember planning the first-degree murder of Christ, remember? But we don't, amazingly, we never read in the Bible that they ever come up with a plan to capture him or to attack him or to kill him or to trap him on their own. Because the Bible doesn't ever tell us that they have a plan on their own to get him. We just never read about it. But we do know that with some help 
they did come up with a plan to attack him and kill him shortly after they gathered together. And we know this because the Bible tells us here in our section of scripture that we're going to read right now that their help came and their plan came from Judas Iscariot, one of his close 12 intimate disciples. Look at verses 14 through 16 in Matthew chapter 26. We read, Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver, so they paid him. So from that time on, he sought opportunity to betray him. So what just happened in a nutshell? Judas, one of the twelve, one of his close twelve, sells out Jesus Christ for 30 pieces or 30 shekels, you could say pieces or shekels, that's what the word there is, of silver. Now, this wasn't just any betrayal now, mind you. As I just said, Judas was a close disciple of Christ. Now, I've been betrayed before myself as well. And I can tell you that being betrayed by somebody that, you know, let's say I knew didn't really like me, I mean, it hurt. But it wasn't, you know, I, I kind of, yeah, I, I could see that coming from that guy. But then I've also been betrayed by people that loved me and that were close to me. And guess what? At least for me, the closer the person is that betrays you, the harder it is to take. Here again, we have Judas selling out Jesus Christ for 30 pieces or 30 shekels of silver. And he was a close, intimate disciple. It's, 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 it's a real big stake in the heart when somebody that you really love, somebody that you're walking with close. I mean, Jesus had thousands of disciples, thousands, maybe even tens of thousands of disciples. The Bible talks about his multitude of disciples, but he only had 12 that were almost with him everywhere that he went. Now, he had a main big three, Peter, James, and John, but he had the 12 that were mostly around him, mostly everything that he did. And Judas, this close disciple, sells him out. He betrays him for 30 pieces of silver. Now, if you search out how much money this actually is in our time and day and age today, and you look to the experts or people that consider themselves experts on the Bible, you, you will find varied opinions. You'll find some experts say that this, this 30 pieces of silver was only a few weeks' wages. Well, you'll find others that say maybe this was almost a year's salary. But I'm not an expert on weights and measures in the Bible. I'm, that's probably my, one of my weakest subjects in the Bible. So I'm not going to make a guess on exactly how much money Judas actually sold Christ out for here, like the others have. But I will say this. Uh, God did give me this one conclusion on this 30 pieces of silver that Judas sold Christ out for. The amount of money that Judas actually sold Jesus Christ out for, no matter which expert you listen to, was so tiny, considering what? Considering who Jesus was. He was the creator of the universe. He was the maker of the man that sold him out. Christ, in the form of God, made Judas in the womb. And yet, Judas sold him out. And I'll even say this. Upon the money, money, it was, or it could have been, even if Judas sold out Christ and gained every piece of money or every treasure that the world could have, that he could have in the whole world, I still say that it wouldn't have been enough. It wouldn't have been near enough. You know, I was thinking of this traitor Judas at this point in my section of scripture just a, little, just a day or a few days ago when I was going over this. And as I thought about him doing what he did here to Jesus, I almost wonder if Christ was speaking to Judas specifically in Matthew 6, 26, when he said this. He said to his disciples, For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul. Because if you look at what the Bible says, that's exactly what Judas ended up doing by selling Jesus Christ out. John 17, 12 tells us, as Jesus is gathered with his 12 disciples, 
praying for them, praying to God. He says this in his prayer. He tells God, while "While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept them. Speaking of the twelve. And none of them is lost, listen to this, except the son of perdition, perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. So who is the son of perdition? That was Judas. Jesus knew that out of the twelve, one of the intimate twelve was going to do this to him. And in that prayer, he tells us that that one was lost. So, G, so, Jude, so Judas, when you put these two scriptures to get together, we see that Judas ends up losing his own soul in hell forever for the disgustingly small amount of 30 pieces of silver. Isn't that sickening? Isn't that disgusting? Now, let's look at some interesting details of this betrayal by Christ, or of Christ by Judas. Interestingly enough, believe it or not, This event of Judas selling out Christ for 30 pieces of silver was foretold of about 520 years before it actually happened, before Christ ever lived. Okay, that was before he was born. Now it would have been, you know, Jesus is in in his 30s or 30, so now it would be almost 550 years before this event took place. But the event was actually foretold of by the prophet Zechariah in Zechariah 11, 12 and 13, of this exact thing that happened to Christ 520 years before he was ever born. Zechariah 11, 12, 13. God, speaking along with Zechariah to the Jews, he says this. They say this. Then I said to them, If it is agreeable to you, give me my wages. If not, refrain. So they weighed out from my wages 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter. That princely price they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. It almost sounds there like we're almost reading words right here from Matthew chapter 26, doesn't it? But no, amazingly, that was written almost five, right around 520 years before Christ ever lived. I love prophecy. Prophecy does nothing but prove the Bible. When you look at what was said and what actually happened, and it came from a different writer, and it was actually a historical event, and God foretold it, and then it happened, prophecy should do nothing but strengthen your faith in God's Word, that it is really from God, not written by man. I love prophecy. It's really cool. But there is something else here very powerful that we see in this prophecy of the betrayal of God in the flesh. What is it, you say? It means, with this prophecy, think about it, God showed it to me. If you could really see the really powerful thing there. It means that God knew about this betrayal and murder of Christ hundreds of years before Christ was ever born as well, too. God knew it. He spoke those same words with Zechariah to the Jews. So God was speaking. He knew what that prophecy meant. He knew all this time, all the time before it was going to happen, that his son, that him in the flesh was going to come and that he was going to be sold out for 30 measly pieces of silver. But when you look in the Bible, it even goes deeper. The Bible actually tells us more than what we already know we find out shockingly that not only did God know about this betrayal and murder of Christ around 520 years before Christ was born, but God actually, now if you can wrap your mind around this, God actually himself planned out the betrayal and the death of Christ before, guess what, the foundation of the world. Yes, I'll say it again. God planned out the betrayal and the murder of Christ, his only son, before the foundation of the world. Where do we see that? Revelation 13 speaks of the book of, the, the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And who is the lamb? The lamb is Jesus Christ. So God knew before the foundation of the world that Christ was going to be slain, that he was going to be betrayed and murdered before the foundation of 
the world. Now, why? Why did God plan out the betrayal and murder of his own son before the foundation of the world? Why? Why? I mean, why would a father do that to his son? Why would God allow this to happen to himself in the flesh? Why? I could tell you why. Because of his great love for you and me and all of mankind. How you say, does Christ's betrayal and death show us his great love for mankind? Because he had to do it because of our sin. Let me explain. You see, God knew that Adam and Eve, the very first two people on all the whole planet Earth, would sin even before he created them. Well, by this sin that they committed, they enslaved all people that would ever be born from them into sin. Well, you say, who are the people that were born from Adam and Eve? Who are the people that were sold into sin? Well, the Bible says that it's all humanity since creation began. Even you and me, of course, because Adam and Eve are the father of all people that have ever been born on the face of the planet. Even you and me. And this being born into sin makes all people sinners. So you might be saying, so what? So what if we're all sinners? Yes, everybody sinned, so what? Who cares if people are born into sin, making them sinners? That still doesn't explain to me why God planned out and allowed his only son to be betrayed and murdered for us. And why does this show us his great love for us? Well, it does. Let me explain some more. The Bible says that sin separates or makes a wedge between God and people. And to God, this was a huge problem. This sin wedge that came between God and mankind meant that people couldn't have a personal relationship with God and we also could never have made it to heaven unless this sin wedge was taken out of the way. How is this a big problem to God? The Bible says that God is love. 1 John 4, 8. And love, this love that he has for people that were made in his image, which would be all humanity that's ever been born, this love that he has for mankind, because of it, he hated having this wedge between us and himself because true love longs for reconciliation. I can tell you that myself. True love longs For reconciliation. What is reconciliation? According to Merriam-Webster, the act of causing two people or groups to become friendly again after an argument or disagreement. So we're all sinners and separated from God because of our sin. And God says, but I love them. I want people to be united with me again. I don't want sin to separate us again. I don't want the sin wedge to be there. But you may be saying, couldn't God have just waved away the problem of sin wedge between him and humanity without planning the betrayal and death of his only son, Christ? No, with a capital N-O. Because, you see, Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin are death. Okay, That means that sin, according to God, is a penalty. Or, or, or the sin penalty, I should say, is death. And because there's a penalty there, it's a law. Sin and the effects of sin are a law. And God, being the righteous creator of the universe, couldn't just overlook the law of sin because then he would be an unrighteous law breaker. If God even broke one law that he gave, God would no longer be righteous. He would be a sinner like you and me because then he would be breaking his own laws or breaking laws that were in place. And the law of sin meant that if somebody sinned, they died. God could not wave it away because if he did, he would become a lawbreaker like you and me and every person that's ever lived on the planet. But he's righteous. He's holy. He can't just sweep sin under the carpet, as we say today. And he can't just, oh, well, it's okay. I just won't deal with that law. I'll just 
I'll break it. I don't really care. Kind of like how people do around here in Dallas, Texas. They break the law on the road all the time. Well, the 65 mile speed limit, ah, that's just a suggestion. No. God's not a lawbreaker. He doesn't break the law. He follows the laws. Therefore, he is righteous. So since he can't sweep it away, the law of the sin penalty needed to be satisfied. So then for people, that meant that if anyone sinned, then we should, according to the law of sin, be doomed to be separated from God forever. That's sad. Especially because God loves and he longs for reconciliation. He doesn't want to be separated from us. Well, everyone that's ever lived, who who are all the people then that would have been separated from God by their sin? Well, that'd be all humanity. Everyone that's ever lived, except for Christ, of course, and that means that everyone, except for Christ, would have been doomed to an eternity apart from God forever. So how does a righteous God redeem people who have sinned? When we deserve to be separated from him forever for our own sins to satisfy that law of sin. How? How does he do it? That's where Jesus Christ, the betrayal and the death and the perfect sinless life that he lived comes into play. You see, there is one exception to the satisfaction, to to the satisfying the law of sin, and that's called substitution. There's one little, you know, you'd say go around. God made a workaround there. He can't just wave it away, but he he decided he made a law. He said, I'm gonna, there's a way around that. There's, There's an exception to the law, and that's called substitution. The Bible says God could substitute the life of one who was perfect or who had lived a perfect life for the life of the person that was cut off from him because of their sin. So in order for God to reconcile sinful humanity to himself, he had to offer a substitutional perfect life for the people who had sinned to satisfy the sin penalty of death. He initially, if you remember back all the way back to Adam and Eve, he initially did this with the blood of bulls and goats and rams. He initially did this with the blood of animals. Because if you remember back correctly, Adam and Eve sinned, right? And what did God do to cover their sin? He gave them skins. Well, where did he get the skins from? But he had to kill an animal in order to make that skin, in order to cover the sin that they had committed from their disobedience to him. But according to God, you see, that animal sacrifice wasn't a complete one. It was only a covering. It was only a temporary exception to the law because it it couldn't take away sins. It could only cover them. So the Bible says that God says, I need a permanent solution. One that's not temporary. One that's not just a covering. I want to wipe sin away. I want to get rid of it. I want to heal it. I want to cleanse it. I want to take it away. From mankind, and he said, I need a permanent solution. So he decided to make Jesus Christ the perfect, sinless Son of God, the permanent sacrifice for mankind's sins, to satisfy the penalty for sin and to be able to offer reconciliation or the permanent fix for our sin problem. But enter Judas now. Unfortunately, this plan of reconciliation for mankind meant that he, as Christ, would have to step into the human race and allow himself to be betrayed by someone, that being Judas, and put to death by mankind, because God couldn't kill himself, that'd be murder, so that he could be reconciled unto God. So that we, sinful people, could be reconciled unto God. And I know it's a lot to take in. I know you may be sitting there going, wow, that's a lot, Pastor Ed. Yes, but that's the truth. And that's why God planned out the betrayal and murder of his son, Jesus Christ. That's why Judas did what he did. And that's why God planned it out before the foundation of the world. And again, don't forget before you think it's too much, don't forget that why that God did this. Why God allowed this. Why God planned this thing to happen. God planned it 
because of his great love for mankind and because of his great desire to reconcile people to himself because of their sins. You see, God didn't make people for hell. We just read about it, I think it was uh, last week or the week before, Jesus told us in Matthew 25, 41, hell was made for the devil, the devil and the fallen angels, not for mankind. In Psalm 68, 19 through 20, David writes about Jehovah the Lord. He says, blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits, the God of our salvation. Selah, or think about it. He goes on to say, our God is the God of salvation. And the God the Lord becomes, and to the God the Lord becomes escape from death. God is the God of reconciliation. Jesus Christ and God are gods of salvation. All one God. But they're in three parts. For God is a God of salvation. To him belongs, escapes from death. Jesus is talking to his disciples after they were going up to the feast. They were going up to the feast and they were in John... Uh, Excuse me, in Luke 9.56. And a Samaritan villager rejects them and they, they won't let him stay there. And so James and John come to Jesus after they see it and they said, and they said, Lord, like Elijah, shall we call down fire from heaven to come and consume all these people and destroy them? But look, they rejected you, Lord. And Jesus is going to say, Oh, yes, absolutely. Do it. Call down fire from I hate them because they're sinners. But what did Jesus say in Luke 9.56? He said, For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. God did not come to destroy, but to save. Second Peter 3.9 For God is not willing that any should perish, and that all should come to repentance. God's desire is not that you or I or any person on the planet be destroyed in hell forever, but God is a God of salvation, and to Him belongs escapes from death and his desire that you know him not be destroyed so judas betrays his lord 30 pieces of shekels 30 pieces or shekels of silver and those to those evil hearted religious leaders allowing them to fulfill their plan to kill him but in doing so he sends himself to hell forever where he still is to this day where he'll be till the end of time but god had it all pre-planned out. All these events, all that would happen to Christ before the foundation of the world. So sad that it had to be this way, but according to the Bible, according to Christ, there was literally no other way. Jesus praying here in, a, in a, just, a, just a week or two, we're going to read it. Jesus praying uh, you know, to God about what the event that was going to happen to him. And, and he's praying and he says, Oh, Father, oh, my Father. If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. What, what cup was he talking about? He hadn't been betrayed yet. He had, they hadn't come and taken him yet. He did not want to go to the cross. He did not want to be slain. He did not want to be betrayed. He did not want to be killed. The Bible says that when he was betrayed and when he was killed and he, or when he was set up there on the cross right before he was killed, that he was in terrible pain the bible says that because jesus did what he did that there was separation between him and god because the bible says that all the sins from the foundation of the world and all that there would be were rested upon him so he could die for them all while sin brings separation from god and christ had never been separated from god not one moment of ever since they were never had a beginning ever so christ didn't really want to do it he prayed to God, is there another way? Is there another way? Let, it, let this cup pass. I don't want to do it this way, Lord. I don't want to do it this way. But we all know the fate of Christ. We all know what happened. Just a few days, just, just the day after he prayed that prayer, they came that night, in fact, right after that, they came, Judas kissed him, the Roman soldiers grabbed him, and then the next day, the very next day, he was killed because of his great love and mercy that he has for you and me and all humanity. What an elaborate plan that God had worked out, I bet. And think about it. He did it all for you and me and all people all over the world that have ever been born. To me, that's humbling. To me, 
I hope it is to you to think about that, how evil we are, how mean we are, how terrible we can be. And yet, the creator of all the universe went through all that, put his son through all that, Judas betraying him, Judas having him murdered, the Roman soldiers coming and taking him, and then the, the, the religious leaders who were supposed to be for God coming and, sh- and shouting out, kill him, kill him, we don't crucify him, crucify him. And he did it all for hateful, mean, cruel, evil people to bring us to himself, to reconcile us because of our sin. And to me, that's humbling. So Judas may have betrayed Jesus Christ and done a very evil thing, but God had it all worked out from, for the very best for mankind, which is for me and you too. So I don't know today if you're with Christ or if you're not with Christ. Only you and God know that. Okay, I don't know that. I can't, you know, like everybody that's listening out there, I don't know whether you are a Christian, whether you've been born again, whether you've been saved, or whether you're not. I can't see inside your heart, only God can, but you know too. But I can tell you this, Jesus Christ desires you to be with him both today and forever. And I hope you can see that in the why, in the why Judas betrayed Christ. I can also tell you this, just knowing this information, Just knowing that Jesus Christ did this for you is not enough, okay? Just knowing that he died for your sins, Judas betrayed him and sold him into into betrayal and murdered him and had him murdered is not enough for you to be saved or you to be made okay with God. What does you say? How can you be saved today and become okay with God even right now? The only way you can be saved, the only way you can get on that path is by responding to Him right now. If today you see that God loves you with an everlasting love that we talked about and He wants you to be with Him, then you need to respond to Him today. How? Think about it from a personal perspective. Think about it, think about it from a humanly perspective. If you are not married and a person of the opposite sex is showing you that they really care about you and that they are really interested in having a relationship with you, what would you do? You would probably take notice and consider their interests and start to talk to them, you know, a little back. Maybe you'd, uh, you know, say, well, you know, they ask you to coffee and you'd accept. Go have a cup of coffee. And during all that time, you're getting to know them. You're getting to see if they really have feelings for you. You're getting to see if they really are genuine towards you or if they just want something else. Are they really interested in me or, or you know, maybe they only want sex, which is not a real relationship. So what do they really want? And in this all this time, you're, you're figuring out when you see somebody's desire, you know, for you, you're figuring out what they really want from you. If they really want a relationship or if they want something else. And so you're getting to know them because, you know, they showed interest for you. And to see if you have feelings for them too, right? That's how a relationship starts. Somebody shows interest. One person asks somebody there. They, they go with them. They see, well, do I like this person? Are they nice? Are they kind? Are they genuine? Then after you've done all these things and you see that they really do care for you, maybe you really do, and they, they, you see that. You see that they really care for you and that they have a love for you and they have feelings for you, know, you and you have feelings for them also, then you would start to have a real relationship with them and start dating them and you know with the goal of marriage, right? Because that's what real relationship is supposed to be out, about. A real relationship or dating is not supposed to be about anything else but getting prepared maybe to marry that person. Unlike the way people do it today, relationship and courting and dating was really designed to find out, do I want to marry this person and be with them for the rest of my life? Not just have my, you know, fixes and, and, and fulfill my fleshly desires. That's, that's ungodly. Well, responding to God's love in Christ, Jesus for you, works the same way. You say today, you saw today, excuse me, that God loves you with an everlasting love. And that he went through great lengths to prove his love for you. And you saw today that he wants to have a relationship with you. 
Well, now it's your turn. Now you need to respond to His show of love and care for you by starting to talk back to Him. Starting to spend time with Him. Getting to know Him more to see if you have feelings for Him too. And to really see what His real feelings are for you personally. Not just from a guy on a radio or on a computer or in your home or whatever, wherever wherever you're listening to me. Not just from what I say, but so that you can see it personally. So you can experience God's love or God's real intention for you personally. And how would you do this? Well, you start praying, of course. Praying, you start talking to God. Well, God, you know, hey, how's it going? You know, the, this pastor that I heard the other day, he says, you really love me and you really care about me. But, you know, I, I don't know, Lord. What about, what about all these things that happen in the world? You know, or whatever you may have concerns about, you know, get to know him. You know, start talking to him back. You know, say, hey, Lord, what's going on? You know, is this guy right? Then you got to get into his word, the Bible. That's how you hear him. That's how you hear him talk to you. And that's where you can see his real love or intentions for you. And, and then you can see, too, not only his intentions for you, but if you really have feelings back for him. And while you're doing these things, you need to be considering having a relationship with him, same as you were a person. Do you have a relationship with Christ already? Or would you like to start one with him today? Whether you have a relationship with Christ today or not, God is telling you that He wants one with you right now. Would you please respond to Him today with a new relation today with a new relationship with Him? Or do you have a relationship with God already and, and, and needing to take the step of marriage? That's the next step after relationship, right? Marriage to God, marriage to people. You have a relationship with somebody. You're single, you're a man, you're a woman, or whatever. And you're like, okay, I'm having this relationship. I love this person. Hey, let's get married. Again, again, relationship is only meant for one thing. It's marriage between a man and a woman. So are you married to God yet? Or I can say, are you saved yet? What is marriage Marriage from a human perspective is submitting oneself to another and trusting them totally with the things of your life. Well, that's what it means to be married to God too and saved from your sins and be okay with God also. Submitting your life to Christ and putting your total trust in what He did for you on the cross by offering His life for yours to show His love for you by paying for your sin penalty. I would like you today to consider this amazing step of marriage with God. He's waiting for you to make the commitment to Him. He already made the commitment to you. He planned from the foundation of the world to die for your sins, to prove His love to you, to woo you to Himself. He did that from the foundation of the world. He said, I want to show people I love them. Here's how. And then He did it. Now he's waiting for you to make the marriage commitment to him. So would you respond to his offer of marriage today and turn to him and submit your life to him and decide to follow him with all your heart? Will you come to put your trust in Christ today totally with every and every, in and in every aspect of your life? Please turn your heart to Christ right now and tell him that you're sorry for your sins. Tell him that you'll accept his offer of marriage and submit to God today and be saved because that is what he wants from you. He gave his whole self for you. He wants your whole self for him in return. And that's why Judas did what he did. That's why Judas betrayed Christ. That's why God preordained Christ to die for your sins on the cross. That's why God pre-planned for him to be betrayed. That's why God did all that. Because of his great love for you and his desire for you to come to be his. But you have to respond and seek him and start a relationship with him and then get married to him. Be totally submitted to God. For God loves you and he wants you to love him back. Please make that step and do it soon. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this wonderful day, Lord. Thank you, dear God, for this message, Lord. Thank you for your show of love, Lord God. 
Lord, you, you take this very thing that happened, this thing that people think is so evil, which it is, Lord. Murder, there's nothing good about murder. And Judas betraying Christ and, and, and selling the Son of God, the creator of the universe, out for 30 measly shekels of silver. Worthless, sickening, Lord. And yet, you had a plan for it. And yet, you did that. You planned that. Lord, because you loved us and because you wanted to save us and there was no other way but the substitutional death of the one that came to live perfect. So that, Lord, that we, if we trust in you, if we surrender to you, if we submit ourselves to you, Lord, we would fall underneath the perfect, spotless blood of the Lamb that can cleanse us from all of our sins. Lord, I pray, dear God, for anybody that's listened to this message, Lord, that they would, they would turn to you right now and they would surrender to you and they would marry you right now and commit themselves to you, Lord. Please, dear God. And if those that are in relationships right now that have already been married to you, Lord, I just pray that you'd strengthen them too, Lord, and see that even though the devil had evil planned with this betrayal and he just couldn't wait to kill Christ, Lord, it didn't matter. You had it all planned. Lord, may we, just be, may we just be strengthened in the fact that you love us and that you did this for us because of your great love for us. Thank you so much, dear God, for who you are and everything you've done and everything that you're doing right now and everything that you will do. We love you and we praise you and we thank you, dear God. And I ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Praise God, everyone. It's Pastor Ed here. and Thank you so much for listening to the message. It's my prayer that you were encouraged and challenged with what you heard today to be a doer of God's word and not a hearer only. Because your life will soon be passed and only what you've done for Jesus Christ will last. If you live in the Dallas, Texas area, we want to invite you to come to our little house church here in McKinney, Texas. Sunday mornings, our service is at 1015 and the directions can be found on our website. Also, if you have any prayer requests or questions or maybe you believe God has called you to support this church financially, please go to gospelsavingchurch.com and click on the appropriate links. I would love to hear from you personally. God loves you very much. Please love him back by the way you live your life. God bless you and have a wonderful day.